most people don't know how to listen to their heart or their intuition or their spirit or whatever you want to call it. The, the center, I see the center of being, being somewhere uh, internally, like in your, in your heart area, in your chest area, as opposed to your head. Your head is the thing that gets in the way all the time of the dream. So, so where the dream is birthed, I, I don't know where you would say that is, but for me, the, the, the most, uh, the, the most um, um, kind of understandable part of it is if I say that the dream is birthed in the heart and then the head, uh, the executive functioning center, all of that processing gets in the way of accomplishing the dream because the dream is always bigger than what you think you can do. Hello and welcome back everybody to another episode of Alpha Relations. My name is Luca and I'm here with Alex. Hello. And Alan. Hey. And today we have ourselves a very special guest. We have a former teacher of ours who was actually the inspiration behind um, our podcast. Let's get right into it. This is Ron Thiessen. Woo! <laughs> welcome, Ron. Thank you. Uh, it's good to be here. So... Ron, the last time that we saw you, it was, oh, what was it? It was over a Zoom call months ago, March or no, uh, probably April, March, no? probably in Mar March, yeah. something like that. You know, I mean, we were just getting into the, this, not knowing what to expect. And we ran, I ran an idea by you. I, I just, I, I, I threw it out into the Zoom call, you know, not knowing anything of what, it, of how it would become. And I said, Ron, I'm going to start a podcast and I'm going to do it with Alex and Luca, who, who were also participants in our interviewing course. Yeah. And then here we are. Yeah, you did right? it. You we did, did it. it. You followed did through. It. You kept your, your promise to yourself and to your, That's it. your partners. And here you are. Yeah. You know? yes. And for that, you know, for that, you know, and seriously, we're going to keep like mentioning it because it's so true. Like you and, you know, Kat Spencer, shout out to Kat. Um, <laughs> uh, like you guys just gave us so much inspiration and the boost to do this, especially at times in many people's lives, uh, my own particularly where it just, it got tough to, to want to do anything, you know? So I'm very happy that I kept that going and that I rolled with, uh, you know, these lovely people here and they had the inspiration and the drive, you know, to move me as well. And here we are, we're doing it. It's awesome. Yeah, it's a, it's a living, breathing thing. It's kind of freaky, but that's the best part. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's, for listeners that don't know you, let's take some time maybe to get to know who you are and um, uh, how you actually know us. As I said, I, I mentioned that we, we were former students of yours. Well, right. I, th I think, uh, I think Luca, the first time that I, I saw you was in that interviewing class. That's the first time I had you for a yeah. student. Alan, I had you a couple of times and Alex, I don't remember. Were you in any other courses that I taught besides, uh, interviewing? Yes. I had you in summer. I want to say of 2018, I had you for 232 for okay. a, a small, one small of my course. favorite courses. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> it was really great. It was really great. <laughs> That is a tough one, though. I mean, especially when you do it in the summer and you and you're doing that intensive thing. Wow, it's yeah, it's not, it's not easy, right? It was so, really fun, though. What's that? It was really fun, though. Oh, that's good. So you must have had a good group. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Hey. So, so all three of you, I've met you uh, on campus at Concordia uh, yeah. in in di different 
courses, uh, and I've been a professor there since 2007. Wow. Wow. That being the case, I mean, knowing that uh, you've been a professor, and we're going to explore other areas of your life, uh, as you mentioned in class, that uh, you have a you have a big story to tell, and that's uh, that, that that's one of the reasons you know, like we wanted to have you on, you know, mm -hmm. to share that with people and to see if we could uh, gain some new insight, you know, or not. If people just want to come, you know, for the the, the giggles, by all means, you know, they are always welcome <laughs> to do that. But what I'd like to ask you is, let's let's start from the beginning. So, Ron. Where are you coming from? What are your origins? Um, okay, so I was I was born in in Vancouver. Um, I lived a lot of my life growing up in Winnipeg because my father worked in Winnipeg, um, and uh, I, I I lived down in the states for about five years. I was doing some uh, studying there and and uh, uh, and working full time. Uh, and I kind of started my family there, although I had a child when I left here and, uh, and we had another one born there in, in the States. Um, but I moved back to Winnipeg in 1980 and I went to work with a um, nonprofit organization. We were doing uh, leadership development uh, seminars in the developing world. And uh, my area of, of uh, my kind of my beat where I was uh, organizing things was in Africa. And uh, so I made several trips to Africa. We were setting up, uh, we did residential uh, retreats uh, for indigenous leaders. So we would find, uh, you know, a contact in the country that we were going to who had some contact with leaders in the country. And we would pull together over about a five-year term, we would pull together a, a, a group of people and uh, we would bring them to a retreat center. Um, and we... Uh, what we did was we we actually charged them in that country what would have been a, the average of a month's wages in order to come to the retreat. And we did that specifically so that we would weed out some people who were not really serious about leadership. But also we had found in our in our work in developing countries that um, if you if if you give it to them for nothing, uh, they, they treat it like it's nothing. And if it costs them, uh, they really take it seriously. And we, we found that that was quite an effective uh, way of dealing with things. However, <laughs> it meant it meant that it, uh, lots of times we would end up a, with a briefcase full of cash, which was useless because it was in the denomination of that country. So it didn't benefit <laughs> us in any way. Uh, but we so we raised our, most of our money to do these things in uh, in North America. Um, and so I did that for a number of years until I moved to Montreal. And when I moved to Montreal uh, in uh, 1997, I went through a divorce and a lot of the work that, that we were trying to do in, in Africa kind of fell apart. Um, we still see that there's ongoing benefits, but uh, you know, I didn't have the same involvement. But I, it really lit something in me that I, I thought, I, I wanna do the same kind of thing uh, even in the North American context. But for that to happen, I really had to uh, rethink my education because I had, uh, you know, my high school education and I'd done lots of uh, courses after that uh, ongoing, you know, uh, continuing education kinds of courses, but I didn't have any kind of a degree that would uh, give me the credibility that I needed in this environment. So um, I, I actually went to McGill to, uh, to register as a student at McGill and they told me, well, uh, you have to go to CJET because you didn't, you didn't take your, your high school in in Quebec, and therefore you need to go to two years of college. And I went, man, I, I'm not, 
I don't want to go back to school. You know, I was, uh, I was already yeah. 44 years old. I didn't, I'm going to go back to, to college. So when I went to Concordia, they said, well, why don't you, you enroll in our mature students program? And uh, so I did that. And we set up a, a program for me to do a double major uh, with 108 credits. And I actually ended up doing uh, 120 something because I, oh I ended gosh. up being there about yeah. a year longer than, than okay. uh, what I had planned. Uh, but from there, then I went and applied at McGill uh, in the counseling psych program. So I did my graduate pro- uh, degree at McGill. And um, and as soon as I finished with my graduate degree, um, I was teaching at Concordia. I, I came back to Concordia and I'd done a lot of TA work and, and stuff like that with uh, different professors when I was at Concordia. So I kind of had a, um, my foot in the door, sort of. And, and because of my age and my experience, um, you know, it was it was a good fit. And so that was in 2007. I started teaching at Concordia. And uh, man, I've been there ever since. And and today I do. I, I have private practice as a psychologist. I'm a, I'm a licensed psychologist in in the province of Quebec. Uh, so I have um, private practice. And I also, besides my work at Concordia, I also do uh, corporate work. Uh, so I'm the last. So in, over the last uh, 20 years, I've done corporate work even before, even while I was taking my degree, I was I was doing corporate work. But in the last 20 years or so, most organizations, when they wanted me, wanted to engage me, they wanted to ask, uh, they wanted me to talk about how to manage change. That was for the, about the first 15 years. In the last five years, what I've really seen is that uh, organizations are asking me to speak to them about employee wellness which is a completely different uh, approach, and it's something I know quite a bit about. But um, the, the, the thing is that our research has shown that people who are mindful get more done in less time with fewer mistakes. So that's a, a very powerful bottom line motivator for, for corporations and organizations. And sure. that's why they're really thinking about and, and putting money and, and effort into creating employee wellness within their companies because they realize that push, 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 and, and, uh, and put the pressure on people is not the way to get the best productivity out of them. So that's been very interesting to see the, the, the openness now of organizations to talk about things that they used to think was, they were sort of flightier, was off here, off there, you know, mm. and actually this is really tied very well into the applied human science program in at Concordia, because we have a lot of focus on uh, mental health and, and well-being and, and wellness and how do you create that. And uh, so it, it's been a it's been a beautiful dovetail uh, fit for me and, uh, and something I'm really enjoying doing. That's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you did touch on a lot of your accomplishments. You have you're a very accomplished man. I've always done things I think I'm interested in doing. So that that's yeah, good. That, that's well, important. Yeah. 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 Um, one of the things that we wanted to just explore a little bit more, since you did talk about a lot of the stuff that you already do. Like, what made you want to open your own private practice, and why do people come to you specifically? Okay, so private practice is mainly because I've been self-employed almost all my life, and, and I'm very comfortable with that. So when I was thinking about going into psychology, it was never a question about uh, where was I going to do or, or what, where was I going to put my energy. I definitely would always put my energy into things that I was creating for myself rather than working within an organization. Um even all the work that I've done in organizations, it's almost always been been in the consultant process. So 
so an external consultant coming in. Um, for, for a little while, I worked within the education system and I just about went crazy. So I didn't last too long in there. And I, mm-hmm. I actually ended up uh, because I was I, I'm a bit hard headed. So I did some things that uh, they hadn't seen people do before. And they're very, you know, the, the system gets very uncomfortable with that kind of thing. And that freaked would, them out. what's that? That freaked people out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, in, in some ways, I was encouraged to leave, and uh, and it didn't take too much encouragement. Putting it lightly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually find that same thing at Concordia. You know, because mm-hmm. as, as part-time faculty, we are not we are not highly impacted by uh, the 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 structure of the university. I mean, we are to some degree, but they don't they don't try to control us or, or tell us what we should be doing. Um, and particularly, I mean, if you stay in along the lines of decency, I, I think you wouldn't have any problem. But still, there are expectations that sometimes I don't meet. And, uh, and that does create some friction sometimes. But for me, I've always been uh, and felt it's my responsibility to be an advocate for the students. And I would far rather come down on the side of the students than the side of administration. And, and that creates some friction sometimes. Mm-hmm. That's okay. We we know you're with us, Ron. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I really feel like with the university, although it's an academic mm-hmm. institution, still mm-hmm. you guys are the clients, and and we mm-hmm. are treating you like you're the clients. We have a responsibility, uh, uh, you know, to, to we have an obligation to deliver something. And yes, we need mm-hmm. to hold the standard, but we also need to uh, think about. What's the most effective way of dealing of, of delivering what we're what we're supposed to be delivering to the people that are that we're delivering it to, which is our clients? Yeah. You know, yeah. that's I've lived that that principle in the corporate work that I've done. This mm-hmm. this is the guiding principle. The the role of the consultant is to improve the client's condition. That's it. Improve the client's condition. They should be better off when you leave them than when they first met you. And I, I think I think that's in life. I think that's a responsibility that we carry. And if you live your life like that, then you, you're 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 usually going to come down on the right side of of the issue of whatever it is that's that you're facing. I would agree. No, totally. Especially uh, given the department, uh, how uh, we work on ourselves from a um, a uh, an individual as well as group perspectives. How we're constantly. It's not that we're we're working on issues, but like we're just there's always room for improvement, you know. I mean, whether it's an organization, it's a it's a it's a group, it's a, a team project, or it's just one of us here in, in this uh, you know virtual studio of sorts, right? I mean, there's <laughs> there's always something you know worth asking. Okay, I mean, I mean, what can I what can I do you know to to better myself in this way? But how can I get there? Yeah. Well, you know, if you ever stop growing, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. For me, you stop living, and I, and yeah. I think uh, yeah. you know. Growing is something we do constantly. Grow and change. Grow and change. No, yeah. for sure, for sure. You know, but uh, how um, uh, th- this ties into theme. You know, of course, given everything that we've studied, you know, what you teach, what we try to you know, build in our own lives here as students from uh, applied human sciences, but just awareness. Mm. You know, if there's like one tip that you have to throw out there, uh, which is interesting because uh, we actually touched a bit of, about that in our uh, last. Um, episode or when we recorded with our friend Graham, but we were talking about that from a spiritual awareness point of view, but like in this case, within one's own life, what would you suggest, you know, is absolutely fundamentally key that people have to keep in mind when trying to become more aware of 
themselves and their internal workings and who they are. So you're talking about internal workings as opposed to looking at the world around you. Yeah, starting from the inside out, if you will. Okay, for sure. It, most people don't know how to listen to their heart or their intuition or their spirit or whatever you want to call it. The, the center, I see the center of being being somewhere uh, internally, like in your in your heart area, in your chest area, as opposed to your head. Your head is the thing that gets in the way all the time of the dream. So, so where the dream is birthed, I, I don't know where you would say that is, but for me, the the, the most uh, the the most um, um, kind of understandable part of it is if I say that the dream is birthed in the heart, and then the head, uh, the executive functioning center, all of that processing gets in the way of accomplishing the dream because the dream is always bigger than what you think you can do. Mm -hmm. if, it's, if it's not, then it, then the dream isn't big enough. If you're thinking like when I'm, I'm teaching personal people on personal mission, if you have developed a personal mission statement, that is that you say, ah, this is easy. I'm going to be able to do this in the next two years. Then you're not dreaming big enough. You've allowed your head to to can the dream, to package it up and put it in a nice little package and say, here's what we're going to do. The dream is always far bigger than that. And many times the dream is kind of messy. You know, like you go like, how in the world am I going to do that? It's, it's going to be it's going to be explosive. It's going to be I have no idea even where to start. And then when that's your thinking and that thinking comes from from up, up, comes up from inside, from deep inside. When you're thinking like that, then you're on the right track. If it's all neat and orderly and packaged, something's wrong. It's not big enough. Yeah, no, I've heard, um, I've heard that. Uh, I kind of see that being a principle. And I've seen that being applied in other sense. I used to do martial arts for a bit. And my, uh, my, uh, my, uh, my Sifu used to tell me, you know, if it looks good, you know, there's something wrong with it there. Yeah. You know, it's got to be, it's got to be, it should be disorganized. It should be something that you have to work on. You know, you have to untangle, you have to figure out in order to get to, you know, that idea of um, whether it's that that's perfection for some, it's achieving the goal, you know, yeah. something to build on. It, and it needs to challenge you. Yes. You know, when you when you look at it, you go, I have no idea how I'm going to do that. Is, do you want to do it? Yes, I want to. Is is it is it a dream? Does it does it feel like that's that's something? I'm just talking to somebody yesterday. Uh, they phoned me and they were so excited. They said, I, I got it now. I got it. I, I know what I'm supposed to be doing. And and you say, Well, how are you going to do it? I have no idea. No idea. How to do that, <laughs> but that's what I'm supposed to do. Now you're on the right track. Nice. Yeah. I want to touch a little bit about um, a little about your counseling. You talked about how be, uh, being a uh, counseling psychologist, mm. um, and we wanted to sort of touch on a little bit on your expertise being um, relationship issues, depression, burnout, and stress, um, and how how you got into that. So somebody told me uh, one of my one, somebody who's now my colleague uh, told me when I was uh, in my process of studying for psychology. They told me that. A private practice, if that's what you're going to do, it kind of develops on its own. You end up fitting into a niche that maybe you didn't expect or maybe you did expect, but it's it it builds by word of mouth because as psychologists, we, we're not uh, – it's unethical for us to advertise in, in – like we can't – we're not allowed to go into the marketplace and market ourselves as a psychologist, okay? We can do uh, advertising like I have a listing in psychology today, okay? But – Somebody has to be going to look for help in order to discover who I am as a psychologist. Okay, and that's the the OPQ requires that uh, because they don't want us uh, selling people on our services. Okay, 
Um, it, it, I don't know if that makes sense, but but uh, for me, I do understand because I'm I would be uncomfortable contacting somebody and say, hey, do you feel like you need some uh, counseling help or are you are you mm-hmm. breaking down mentally? Uh, maybe you should come and see me. You know, uh, kind of like a, an injury lawyer. You know, <laughs> <laughs> here's my card. <laughs> yeah, here's my card. And I've got a billboard downtown, you know, <laughs> I've got an easy number, 333 help, you know. <laughs> so so uh, the, the, the niche does develop and it really develops through word of mouth. Uh, in, in my experience and, and in my colleagues experience, that's that's the way it's uh, shaped up for me. What when it ended up happening, I got a very interesting uh, offer when I was in in uh, on my own. For I had been a, in my own practice for about two years. And I was approached by a large uh, organization uh, to, and I guess it was because of my corporate work that the, the kind of the, 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 uh, the human telegraph, you know, it, it sort of ended up, they, they, anyway, they contacted me and asked me if I would be willing to be their psychologist of reference externally, because they had, they had an internal psychologist who would do uh, a couple of sessions with uh, people and then refer them out. And so they said, would you be our English uh, right. psychologist of reference? Uh, and mainly it was dealing with, uh, with C-level uh, executives who were burning out. And, uh, and so that ended up being, I did that for uh, probably the better part of 10 years. Um, uh, and uh, it, that ended up opening a lot of avenues in the area of uh, work stress burnout. So I think I have a bit of a reputation in the field that if there's, if, if, if you're burning out at work or if, if uh, work is causing you a lot of anxiety or a lot of stress uh, and you don't you don't really know what to do, this is the person to call. And um, interesting because I find that I found so often that people that there are people that come to me that think they need um, therapy and they actually need coaching. And there are people that come to me that think they need coaching and they actually need therapy. Uh, so I, I ran into that uh, quite a bit working with executives who would think, I just need some coaching. And boy, they didn't need coaching. They need, they really need <laughs> therapy, you know. Right. So that's, that, and that's an interesting barrier to cross, you know, because right. once you once you have to establish, you know, coaching is not going to help you. We, we've got deeper issues than that. Then they have to come face to face with it. And sometimes they don't want to. And sometimes they do. And then about 40% of my private practice is couple relationships. So uh, I've dealt with couple relationships in, in like uh, heterosexual, homosexual, uh, um, uh, these, these kinds of uh, the way relationships unfold and how they develop um, and, and the challenges that people face in relationships. Uh, it's just been, I, I get a lot of referrals for many different uh, aspects of, uh, relationships in intimate relationships. Yeah, uh, that's, um, that's interesting, especially having you just explored, you know, both angles regarding, uh, uh, relationships, you know, in conflict as well as, uh, the workplace and you might talked about burnout. So just you know, to relate both of those two things, what has your experience been like, um, since I mean, the start of the pandemic and COVID in terms of work and trying to, uh, navigate, you know, to uh, help, you know, the couples to help, you know, employees, you know, CEOs of their, their own organizations, enterprises, you know, through, you know, such, um, uh, through, through such uh, feelings, you know, hardships, mm-hmm. especially given the, the, the current uh, global pandemic. Yeah, it's, uh, it's brought some very interesting uh, mental health issues to the forefront. 
and and something that is that's a very interesting dynamic is that in, in when I'm when I'm working one on one with someone, um, you know, if, if we're working virtually, I, I actually have worked uh, in my office right through the pandemic, right from the beginning, because at the beginning the OPQ told us that we should be available for clients that really needed face to face interaction. And so I, I always had some clients who were like that. But I, what I ended up doing was uh, scheduling. Uh, I, I ended up going to the office like every other week instead of every week. And um, uh, so I did a lot of virtual work. But virtual work is challenging for the client because uh, many times they're in the very environment that is causing them uh, distress. You know, um, so if, I, if I'm working with a couple, that's almost impossible. Uh, it's not impossible, you know, and, and I, I did some of that. And sometimes a couple would be uh, together. So if we're on a Zoom call, they're both on the same screen. Sometimes one's in the in the, the office at home and the other one's sitting in the car outside. And, you know, and, and, and so we're we have this interaction and it can be it can be quite awkward. And what I'm doing with, with when I'm working with couples, if they're there together uh, to see me, um, I have them, I, the way, when I, when I set it up at the beginning, I say, you know, here are some ground rules of the way that I work. And I tell them that one of the things I want to do is in the sessions is I want you to talk to each other, not to me, because your problem is not with me, it's with each other. So that kind of, of dynamic of them talking to each other. Now, if they're in the same room and they're, and they're on the same screen, that can be Okay. But, you know, if he's in the car and she's in the office and, you know, but they're both at home and maybe there's kids yeah. and like there's there's complications that just uh, it's, it's it's a different a very it's a different challenge in that environment. Uh, mm -hmm. But everybody, uh, they we're seeing what what we're calling covid fatigue now. But uh, I've seen that from the beginning where just the even two weeks in. Uh, where people are going like, yo, I'm not used to being, I'm not used to being restrained like this. I'm not used to being controlled like this. I'm not used to being told what to do and that I can't, I have nowhere to go. You know, I can't just pop out and, and, uh, you know, uh, go to Burger King and get something. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a pretty different environment. So um, that has pr produced a lot of stress. And I really see the difference in people that are that are highly wound, you know, like a type personalities, driven kinds of personalities and, or people who are highly anxious. Uh, wow. It's, it's been, it's been a really difficult thing for them. And there's not really anything that, that can be done in terms of, um, uh, alleviating their, their stress by, uh, just by talking because you know i don't just do talk therapy but but for sure if you come in and you have a face-to-face -face session and we talk for an hour and i send you home with homework i'm, I'm always going to give you homework so, something for you to do um there there's there's an unloading that can happen but uh on a zoom call it's it's, it's not the same thing because the connection is not the same mm -hmm. uh and uh and so it's it's a it's pretty challenging to work with people in a, in a virtual context like that. I think I'm getting better at it, but um, yeah, for sure. It, it, it pulls out of you in a way that face-to-face uh, -face doesn't. It's a different challenge. And, and of course, then the challenge too is that I'm looking at somebody on the screen. I'm not, I'm not seeing their nonverbals like the degree that I do when they're in front of me. You know, if someone is, it can't stop shaking their, their leg while they're talking to me, it tells me something's going on, you know, but I, I can't see it on a Zoom call. I have no idea if that's what's happening. That's true. Yeah, for all you know, we're in our pajamas. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and, and that's totally okay. Like, 
for people to be comfortable and to be relaxed. And, you know, I've got my Zoom shirt on. That's it. You know, I have no problem with that whatsoever. But uh, and actually, that's another dynamic that happens in counseling online like that, that there's there's a, the, the counterbalance is that there is a different level of comfort. Right. I didn't have to travel to get here. I didn't I, mm. I don't come huffing, huffing up to your office saying couldn't find parking. Sorry. You know, like none of that happens. So it is, there's a different level of stress to begin with, you know. It's just that you're stressed on, on one hand because you're virtual and you're less stressed on the other hand because you're virtual, you know? Mm-hmm. Is there like a reoccurring issue you see often with uh, couples? Finances, for sure. Probably number one. Uh, cheating, infidelity, um, that's another one. Uh, so it, the jealousy that comes from that, many times unwarranted, but and when it's unwarranted, but it's it's hard to dismantle the mechanism uh, those those can be very painful for the couple. You know, they just person just can't get past the jealousy, or if maybe there was previous infidelity, and now it, they think it's happening again, but the, and the person is insisting it's not. It's not happening. It's this was in the past. It's all over. But the, the trust is gone, right? Yeah. Ari's window mm-hmm. trust. You, trust is like the deposits in the bank account, right? Every every trustworthy action you make a deposit, untrustworthy actions you make this huge withdrawal. That's yeah. something like infidelity. It's 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 a huge withdrawal. Yeah. So you just spoke about how you know Zoom or virtual like sessions have gone like in your like per, not personal but professional therapy life. But what about like school and how has the Zoom with your students gone since the pandemic? Well, if you ask me, I say it's going pretty good. Um, but I am, I'm not sure, I'm not sure what students are feeling because it's getting long, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's getting very long for people. And I, I, I judge in my, in my zoom calls, in my zoom classes, I judge, uh, the level of engagement by how many people are staying. Now mm. I've asked in the class, is that a good judgment? And they tell me it is like, because if, you know, the university has made it very, um, very, it's you're not required to be in live class. And, mm-hmm. and I actually have found out from some of my students that that some professors are not doing any live classes at all. They just record their session and you just listen to it when you want to. Mm-hmm. Um, so for certain, that's available to my to my students and we record everything. But I'm I'm doing live classes at class time. And uh, mm-hmm. so then I, I watch the level of engagement by watching how many people came to the, the class and then how many people are staying. That's mm-hmm. why when you were telling me that in your power and conflict class, you've got, uh, you know, 80 more, 80 plus students who are staying. Well, then that's pretty phenomenal. Like uh, something, something's going for the most for part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Come the last hour, it, it starts to dwindle. Well, for sure. You know, that's the most, factor, most right? Like, wow. Well, yeah, definitely. definitely. And, and it, you know, it's, it, it's an offset, right? Because if you, if you put your camera on, yeah, you're more engaged, but you you probably fatigue easier, right? If you leave your camera off, it's it's easy to disconnect, right? Yeah. So yeah. I, I can see where that that's a real challenge. And so for me, I as I as I do with live classes, I just pour myself into what I'm doing, and and hopefully it will it will the connection will happen with the the student. And I do a lot. I make it very interactive. So breakout rooms are are top priority for me, like getting into breakout rooms. Um, and also I'm still doing the discussion that I always did at the beginning of class. This has been pretty interesting because, uh, we've had some very, 
deep discussions. Sometimes I've had a discussion. I think my longest one it was 90 minutes. We we had oh, wow. we started a discussion and we just it just went that way. And I think that was the one we were talking about the Black Lives Matter movement and what that's mm-hmm. like for students of color in at university um, mm-hmm. and and the, the challenges that they encounter that. Um, Still to this day, you know, I, I there's so many things I've learned that I never considered, you know, mm-hmm. and, and as a person in, you know, I'm, I'm a white male, I, you know, I'm in that position where I don't need to consider those things because they never impact me. Right. But I, I have I have considered them for for years and I thought I was making progress. But over the summer, I was doing some studying on in, in this whole area. And I read a couple of, uh, of books, which you guys have probably uh, heard about. So How to Be an Anti-Racist was the first one. And uh, that, heard of it. that yep. was some very interesting things for me, uh, different perspectives. And then I read a book called Cast by Isabel Wilkerson uh, right towards the end of the summer. And uh, in that book, if you haven't heard of it, it's, she's, it's fantastic. Uh, but she writes how the caste system in in the U.S. she she uh, compares it to the caste system in India, which we're all familiar with, and the caste system in Nazi Germany. And and what mm-hmm. she says about Nazi Germany is that, and this is this is in the in the the record, like this is in you can research it, you can find that this is actually true. That the Nazis, when they figured out how they were going to run their their society, they said they looked at the American model. They looked at how Americans treated blacks and how did they get them from slavery to where to to remaining in the lowest rungs of society and how did they do that? Mm-hmm. How do they keep them there? What what are the what are the mechanisms that enable them to keep them subservient? And that's what they built their Nazi regime on. That's crazy. Yeah, wow. it, it's pretty crazy. And uh, and the thing is that it's very much alive and well in the U.S. And we can see that in the current president, you know. And, 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 and exactly, you know, she makes the point that the, the people who are most racist are always the ones who say, I'm the least racist person here, mm. you know, and that's what Trump says all the time. I'm the least racist person in the room. Mm. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and there again, you see that there, there's a person in a, in a uh, position of privilege and power, not, not, not his, not his position as president, just the fact that he's a white male in a mm-hmm. position of power and privilege and can afford to just say, there's no problem here. You see the same thing with Legault mm-hmm. in, in Quebec. There's, there's no problem. What do you mean there's, there's no problem here? Yeah, it's just that you never experienced it. Mm-hmm. No, exactly. You know, and as long as you, you keep saying stuff like that, it's just, it's not gonna, no work is being done. I yeah. think we're waking up. I think we're waking up. I think we've got to, I, I would agree. I think we have yeah. a level of awareness now that we didn't have before. You see across the cultural spec- spectrum, People are demonstrating, and they are they're in solidarity with uh, with each other. I mean, not everybody, but but some people. And I think I think we're waking up. Mm-hmm. I think it was a really really big year for that. Yeah, yeah, sure. social yeah. media and, mm-hmm. and being able to push a bunch of movements and yeah. petitions. Yeah, I think it was really big. Yeah, I agree. That's good. And um, such talks, I mean, just recently occurred in your in your Zoom courses, or oh, you said this was over the summer, correct? No, no, it's it's now in the fall. Yeah. Oh, right now. Okay. So at, okay. I, I didn't good. have any courses over the summer. And in the, in the, the end of the winter semester, I was just trying to manage the, the anxiety in, in the, in the classes. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. I remember we were, we were a part of that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I remember my rom-coms, right? So yeah. Yeah. I, I sent yeah. those out daily, I think until the end of May. Right. Mm-hmm. That you uh, did. And, yeah. and, uh, and, and I actually, 
I, I continued for a little while, uh, like periodically, and I'm thinking about bringing it up again because now we're back into the red zone. I think yeah. people need a perspective that uh, that that shows them that there's there's more to what's happening here than just I feel so constrained and I'm so controlled. I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. I think that'd be yeah. great. I think that'd be great. And just uh, for example, exploring you know topics like that you just uh, brought up, the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, or anything else that's pertaining to to society right now, what's going on? Just sharing sharing just another means, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, you just I mean like bringing somebody else's story and um, transcribing it in your rom coms, you know. And that's essentially what we like to do here. That's what we're doing right. here. You know, right. we bring you in. We want you to share your experiences, your take on what's going on. And just for other people, the receiver on the end, just to, I mean, it's not to brainwash or anything, but just to give you a thought, if you want to listen to it, you know, <laughs> Alex is dying on the last comment there. Um, but uh, that's the whole point, you know, and just, I mean, we we need some, we, we need our minds to continue, you know, progressing, you know, regardless of what we're going through, because we've hit, to, we've hit a wall. It's a rather big one. And there have been, you know, many obstacles along the climb up and over yeah. it this past year now and um we we need as many tools as we can as we we can use you know to our advantage to get over it it's a conundrum isn't it that that the thing that has stopped us can't even be seen with the human eye yeah that's pretty amazing that this big world that we've created has been brought to its knees by a tiny thing that we can't even see with the naked eye so it's phenomenal crazy yeah yeah no it's uh Makes one scratch their head. But you know, it, you know it, for me, it's it's like a metaphor, uh, because when I talk about personal mission, I talk about the seeds of what you what you dream about, and those seeds can be tiny, but they can create something massive, and and, and we're we're seeing it. In, you know that this tiny thing has brought the world to its knees. You know that the tiny things, the seed, the tiny seeds of things within us can can change the whole world if we let them. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And if, uh, I mean, de- depending how we go about it, you could just have one big ripple effect, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, from the smallest stone thrown in the pond. And um, you brought me back to um, a question I wanted to ask you. So you, you mentioned it a few times now, personal, like a, a mission statement of sorts. So what is that for our viewers out there, for those who may not know? So a personal mission statement, it, most of us know what a, what a mission statement is for an organization. The mission statement for an organization, it, it clarifies the direction that this organization is going. It is usually quite succinct. So it's a line or two, uh, maybe maybe a word or two, like TED, TED Talks. It's, you know, TED, their, their mission statement is spread ideas. Hope that's so powerful and so mm-hmm. exactly what they do and so uh, identifies or informs what, how they're going to, how they're going to proceed and what's important. So that's what mm-hmm. a mission statement does in a very succinct, uh, term. It tells you exactly, it informs your decisions. It tells you where you need to go. It tells you what, where, what direction you're headed in. And it gives you, it can give you signpost markers along the way. So uh, a personal mission statement is a, is a very succinct statement, one or two sentences. It needs to be short enough that it's something that you can readily recall and bring to mind. And uh, also it needs to, it, it needs to contain uh, terminology that is very powerful for you. So mm-hmm. words that, that, that uh, it doesn't matter if they're powerful for somebody else, as long as they're powerful for you and you can describe to someone else 
why they're powerful, what they mean and why they're powerful. Right. That makes sense uh, to, to make something that applies to you that you can work on, that you can see that it, it's like transparent. You don't necessarily have to achieve it. That's the whole point of putting it out, right. mm -hmm. you know, that you can get there. Right. Um, right. I remember being in your class back in winter 2018. I think it was a 232. Um, and for those who don't know, it was a, it was an interpersonal communication course. And we went over that. And the, the the big fact that stood out at the end of the day that you continuously stress on and you still do to this day, I imagine, is write it out, mm -hmm. put it in front of you. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'll be honest, I mean, I, I wrote it, it's in a Google Doc. Mm -hmm. And then you know, I mean, 2018 occurred. And then there were moments where uh, my personal mission statement, um, I won't give the full thing, but it's along the lines of just, I mean, uh, persevering through any struggle that comes my way. It's along those yeah. lines. Right. And then I have object objectives that I listed out as well. I mean, we all go through, you know, events in our life, you know, that could paralyze us at times, you know, they just leave us in moments where we don't know what to do. And I remember thinking, oh, okay, this, this would be a good time to refer back to that, uh, that little tiny piece of paper that I just put it somewhere in, in the, in the Google drive. Yeah. I opened it. I printed it out later in 2018. I said, okay, I'll leave it there on my desk, you know, not on my desk, on my shelf, you know, in the back of my room. And then 2019 occurred and it says, you know what, that, that personal mission statement is starting to really resonate mm -hmm. with me now. And you know what's happening now? It started to creep its way closer to my computer desk. And now, you know, it's to the point where I, I had it out as often as possible. It's just memorized. It's like tattooed on me, you know, and I'm not, I'm, it's not necessarily something that I'm going to achieve because I mean, uh, seeing how I mean, personal struggles, you know, uh, struggles within society occur all the time, you know, until like, I mean, uh, we, uh, mm -hmm. uh, until we, uh, we, we hit that clock out, we punch it out, but it's just something that I now understand that it's something so key and it's meaningful to me that, I mean, it's, it's just a part of me. And it's all because of that fact that, that you just stressed on. He says, write it out because you're going to see where it's going to take you. Right. Yeah, exactly. And now I think, and, yeah. and the thing is that when you write it out and you see it mm -hmm. in front of you all the time, your, your capacity to achieve it and the likelihood of you achieving it rises exponentially. Because it creates a different vision, you know. It creates a different picture, you know. If you if you if you don't mind, I'll, I'll just I'll just talk about my personal mission statement because that's my. Go for it. We were going there. <laughs> okay, and and I just want to explain a couple of key points about it. Okay, so my personal mission statement is to inspire, educate, and empower people and organizations to achieve their peak potential in human interaction and life purpose through evolutionary change. Now, all of, those, all of those words, with the exception of the conjunction words, they're all critically important. Uh, they're, they're, yes. they're all part of the picture that, that my mission statement paints for me internally. But I, if I focus on the, those first three words, to inspire, educate, and, and empower. And, and I just want to show you a couple of key points about, about this in my personal mission statement, because it, it'll help you understand what a personal mission statement is and why it's so critical that you really understand, uh, take the time to, to construct one and then uh, understand what it means for you. Because I have found in my experience that those three things I am able to do in certain areas that I understand. So inspiring, educating, and empowering, those are three things I'm able to do uh, in my areas of expertise. But what I found is that if I am able to inspire you, then chances are you will allow me to educate you and if you allow me to educate you in those areas that I understand, then I can empower you to live the, the, the things that I'm teaching you in those areas. So 
On the other hand, if you if I cannot inspire you, if I don't inspire you, then chances are you will not allow me to educate you, and therefore I will not be able to empower you in those areas that of, of, that I understand. So when I'm you know in my in my position and at my age, you know I'm asked to do lots of things. People want me to to participate in many different things. And when someone asks me to do something, I, that's the first thing I ask myself internally. I run it through that grid. Will this allow me to inspire, educate, and or empower? If the answer to that is no, then my answer is no. It, it clears up so many things. You know, Would you do this for us? Is it going to allow me to inspire, educate, or empower? No, no, it's not for me. Okay. So, But if it will, if it potentially will allow me to inspire, educate, and empower, then I need to say, is it something I want to do? Is it something that fits in my schedule? Is it something I can make room for? All those questions about putting it into my agenda. So like when you guys ask me about this podcast, well, for sure, I'm going to encourage you in your podcast because this is something, this is a dream that came out of you guys uh, in one of my classes. That, that Of course, I'm going to uh, support you. Uh, will it allow me to inspire, educate, empower? Maybe. It depends. It depends what the reach of the podcast is. It depends. But it, it actually doesn't matter the number. It maybe I'll even be able to inspire, educate, and or empower you. That that the mm -hmm. three of us, the four of us that are talking together. Mm -hmm. but here, so far, so good. Here's, here's <laughs> something else about the the, um, the the your personal mission statement. If somebody asks me to do something that does not allow me to fulfill that mission, then if and if I say yes, so I could say yes for my ego. I could say yes because of the money involved. I could say yes. Like there's lots of different reasons why I might be tempted to say yes when it's not it's not in my area of expertise. But if I do say yes, a couple of things happen. One is that in order for me to prepare to deliver that product that I've been asked to produce, it's going to take me an enormous amount of time and energy to produce a mediocre product because it's mm. not my area of expertise. So I will put a lot of energy into, into delivering something and it's gonna be mediocre. So then I have robbed my client, uh, whoever that is, of the expertise that they could have had in that area because I was, I, I was selfish about that and I took that for myself. So th that's, the, that's the first thing. It, the, so those two things, that it's gonna take me an enormous amount of energy to create a mediocre product and my client will receive a mediocre product. The other thing, and this is even more important to me, is that when I do that, I steal from the person whose job, whose, whose gift it is to deliver that product, I steal from them the opportunity to do that, to show their expertise and to give that client something that is, you know, life changing for them. So when I see it in that, from that perspective, I need to stay in my lane. I need, and that's why the personal mission is so important, because you need to know if you're staying in your lane and you need to know also what what areas of expertise do I have that I am responsible to deliver to the world that I impact or influence. And how can I do that most effectively? And believe me, if you understand what your personal mission is, that's going to take all of your time. You won't have time to, to dabble in other areas that where you're not very good and that you're you're doing mediocre stuff. You're, you're going to be, you're, it's going to be your full-time job to live your personal mission. And there's a very good reason for that. That is that most people, as you uh, probably understood from that Harvard study that we looked at, the uh, MBA graduating class. So most people, 10 to 15%, uh, maybe 50, let's say 15 to 20% of people have an idea of where they're going in their life. Only 3 to 5% of, of them actually have it written down. 
But they, the, the point there is that if you're a person who is living your life on purpose, you will gather, people will gather around you to understand what gives you the hope, drive, and motivation that you have. And you, your, your gift will start making room for you. People will go, if there's one thing, you need something about, uh, about this particular thing, contact Luca. He's the person, he really knows what he's talking about. He knows what he's doing. And, and you know what? If you develop your personal mission, you're not going to have to worry about money in your life. Money will find you. Money will find you. Think yeah. about all of the people who have developed their talent or their ability in such a way to create enormous amounts of money for very little work. Like you think about, um, you know, professional athletes. I'm not saying they don't work hard. They do. But but they, they're doing something that a lot of people can do. They're just doing it at a, at a completely higher level. And that higher level commands income for them that go that, that is mm -hmm. it's not it has nothing to do with the hours that they work it has to do with the value that they bring to the table right mm -hmm. so when you when you understand your personal mission and you're clear on what you're good at doing you bring that value to the table and that value is going to create income that you can't create by going to uh, working at a job and and exchanging your hours for dollars hmm would you say passion is also part of that? <laughs> yeah. Like having that bigger purpose yeah. is through that passion you have? You know, if I'm, if I'm taking someone through an exercise of finding their personal mission, passion is the first thing we look at. What are you passionate mm -hmm. about? What are, what are things that you cannot stop thinking about? You know, every mm -hmm. time I see that, I think about this. Every time I run into that situation, this is the thought that triggers in my mind. You know, I see this problem and I just can't stop thinking about solutions for that problem. Those are the things that you're passionate about. And for sure, those are absolutely critical ingredients for, for your personal mission. That's really awesome. I have tools that I can, any, anybody is interested in tools for finding your passion, identifying what that is, you know, kind of finding your way through the, the murk sometimes that's there. What, what do I do? I don't, I don't even know where I'm going. You know, you, you can contact me and I'll send you tools that will help you do that. Hmm. That would actually be like super cool of you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, if anything, what we could do is we could always, um, uh, you can send us those links and we can post them Absolutely. when we, uh, when we put up this episode. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 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 Sure. Yeah. Oh, that's great. No I like problem. that. So just to shift gears a little bit. So we've heard you refer to yourself as a change evolutionist. Mm. So not everybody would know what that is. So could you explain what a change evolutionist is? Sure. It's funny because that term, it's, it's not one that I came up with. It's one that somebody uh, wrote about me and said, this guy really is a change evolutionist. And I, and I thought, oh. okay, that's pretty amazing. So uh, I thought and it really describes what I do. So change evolutionist mm -hmm. means simply this. Most people think that when they make change, that it is a sudden and difficult thing that they do. So making change is like making a right hand turn. You, you got to you got to do this. You got to implement it. You got to do something different. And that's the thing that discourages people most uh, most profoundly from making change because they they just can't make the right hand turn. It, it just, mm -hmm. it, you know, you make the right hand turn and then before you know it, you kind of drift back to business as usual. And then you're, you're just keep going in the same direction. And uh, so change is an evolution. And if people understand that it, it takes time to make change, it takes consistent application of uh, pressure to create change, it just doesn't happen overnight. 
And uh, yeah. I, I know that the big thing happening right now on uh, Netflix, one of the big things happening right now, at least my students tell me, is this uh, documentary called Social Dilemma, which is a, it's kind of a documentary and movie. Yeah, I've yeah. heard of that one. So okay. yeah. the noise. one guy there, I think his name is Jaron something. He's the, he's the guy with, he's got funny eyes. He's got long dreads. He said something very, very powerful and very significant. He said that, he said, what we are trying to do with social media is we are trying to change your behavior a little bit at a time. Mm. And he said, if, if, uh, if, if you came to me and you offered me $10 million to create a, a little change, but I told you I could do that around the world, he said $10 million is cheap. And he's, 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 he's exactly right. And what he talked about then, if you, if you listen to the, the extent of it, because they, they kind of cut and pasted his interview in a few different places, but he talks about how as you make those, those minor incremental changes, you start changing something fundamental. And before you know it, the whole, uh, the, the whole what's being presented to that person is complete manipulation. And they have been manipulated yeah. to slowly yeah. make these little changes. And all of a sudden now everything that they're receiving through social media is it, it, it's um, uh, what do they call that? It's um, curated. It's curated mm -hmm. for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and they've been able to do that with the advent of this of the smartphone, because they know that 99 percent of the time, the person that's using the smartphone is the person that owns the smartphone. We don't let go of our phones very often. Right. So everything you do on your phone is 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 calculated. It enters the database for you. Well, you guys know from mm -hmm. listening to that. So, so you see making these incremental, this little tiny changes. That's what change evolution is about. It's about re realizing. And if you understand that you make changes a little bit at a time, that takes out some level of discouragement when you think you've got to make a right-hand turn and you say, I just can't do it. I just don't know what I'm going to do. Make, then make a little change. Make a little change. And you'll see it'll start being mm. easier and easier and easier. Mm. Yeah. No, I, I would completely agree with that. And uh, if we just want to throw an example into it, this podcast is, is very much like that. And it was just funny because um, – after we had finished school, we had gathered on a Zoom call. We're celebrating. We're having a couple of drinks, and we had a brainstorming sesh, uh, session. And we're we're putting down our, our ideas. And in that moment, it was just so exciting, knowing like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, we're doing this. This is going to happen. It's fantastic. Mm -hmm. But then you wake up the next day, and like you realize, like, oh, we got a lot of work to do, <laughs> you know. And that's like, I mean, I'll say, it, uh, <laughs> Alex has uh, quoted me saying this before: Rome wasn't built in a yeah. day. You know, I, that's not my quote, just the thing. <laughs> anyway, um, and, and that's very much what it is, like I said. But look, we can't go make a podcast just today. We just can't do that. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not realistic. We have a lot of other, you know, things that we need to take care of in our life in the current moment. Mm -hmm. But I always say, but let, let's chip away. So last time we had a brainstorming session regarding ideas, and we came up with a name and a slogan, right? And then, okay, maybe in a week from now, we're going we're gonna to look at uh, recording equipment. We're going to understand recording mm -hmm. equipment a bit more. And then the week after, we looked at researching recording equipment and then so on. So um, I, I personally think it's just building off what you said. It's coming to that point and understanding that in order to make change occur, mm -hmm. it's going to take time. And that requires acceptance. And like, I mean, you have to. That's, yeah, that's, that's for sure. But do you notice now that 
uh, okay, so you guys have the, all, these podcasts under your belt. You understand mm-hmm. that, that you this is already an, a, an accomplished idea for you. It's already done. Now you're in the process of, of walking it through. And you wouldn't mm-hmm. think of um, uh, it's there. The challenges of doing it are not the same. Now you have the new challenges. How are we going to grow this? Uh, how are we going to keep a, a, you know our guest list full? How are we going to do all those things? But there's no question. Are we going to have a podcast? Yeah, we're, we're not even entertaining yeah, that no doubt. anymore, yeah. right? So, so you see, we you've already you've made that shift, and and uh and you're you're just you're on a different track. You're going in in a different direction, and it's uh it, it's it's already established. Now you're tweaking as you go. But, you know, you're already on a different path and you're going to stay there. Yeah. It's big. It's, it's, it's big. wild. <laughs> and, and you see, you don't, you don't lie awake at night thinking, wonder how that first podcast is going to go because it's behind you. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You come, you come to <laughs> yeah. the level. You notice how you're 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 much more relaxed now. You come to your podcast. Well, OK, everybody's everybody ready. OK, so here we go. And and is anybody going like, don't hit that recording button yet? I'm not, I'm not ready. <laughs> like that. It's just like, yeah, here we go. You should listen. You should listen to our first couple of recordings. You know, I'm, we're still. Yeah, oh, did. did you? We okay, did. that's fantastic. But even oh, then, gosh. I mean, yeah. even at the beginning. Yeah. So your 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 uh, uh, your intro. I think you called it your intro, and then you did your uh, one two three or your two three four or whatever it was you called it. We had a lot of number, you know, titles. <laughs> hey, by the way, we got, I gotta I gotta give uh, kudos to you guys on the thing you did about uh, suicide on in Suicide Prevention Week. Wow, that was pretty awesome. Uh, what a heart to heart. Uh, way of talking about you know stuff that you guys are dealing with in in pandemic and and being locked down and stuff like that and then all the resources that you provided well that that's that was amazing and and, and kudos to you for doing that that's a great job but you see you. even that even that number two was was easier it was more relaxed it was more and you and you had a you had a focus you had like we got a message to get out here and we're going to make sure that it gets out there right so, and you mm-hmm. see every, every time you do it, your comfort level increases. Right. And and you go like, there's yeah. just no question we're doing this. It's the only question of content, right? Not if but content. That's true. Mm. I agree. And, I, and you'll get to true. a place yeah. where you'll have more content than you can handle because people will be contacting you and say, Hey, uh, you know, would you like to have me on your podcast? Like, uh, you know, because you're going to have reach. Right. As as you That's the dream. <laughs> then people want to. Then people are asking you, right? Yeah. No. It's true. And um, as it is right now, this is a a super fun. I mean, project that we're working on. We're continually to work on, and we're we're, we're very open, you know, to any positive direction of growth that it's going to mm-hmm. go, uh, what whatever mm-hmm. that may be. Um, but as long as we're enjoying the process and so far we, we are, and I think I say 50% of it is just, uh, figuring it out, you know, uh, whether we see that as a challenge, you know, just a, uh, uh, you know, a hump that we got to get over. That's, that's the, the fun part because that's where the creativity exactly. kicks in, yeah. right? And then I hear Luca's ideas. I hear Alex's, my own, and then how we all mesh that together, Right. And then you'd be like, well, and you see how, that's going to be interesting. that happens when you strip the anxiety out of the interchange. Okay. So now you're more yeah. comfortable. Now your ideas can flow. You're not, you're, you're, you don't, you don't have to think about, yeah, but how are we going to talk or how are we going to come across or, you know, do we, we don't want to cut each other mm-hmm. off. You've, you've learned all that now. And so now it's like, okay, doing the podcast is a peanut. What is it going to consist of? Now that's the challenge, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's very true. That's very true. You know, um, big principles and uh, 
in HSC, you know, processing mm-hmm. content, yeah. you know, and usually when we, we stress on, um, of course, you would know this, I mean, being a, a prof, like the content, like it's presented, but like we stress on what's the process going to be like yeah. the how, how are you going to get from mm-hmm. point A to point B? And it's interesting because here, you know, uh, with, without taking a closer look and until you brought it up, I'm, I'm very thankful that you did. We have been focusing on that process already, you know, but now it's just like, like yeah. we're getting it down. Yeah. I feel that. I mean, we can see it I and mean, this is living proof. And now where it's just like, okay, focus on, on the what, you know, the, yeah, yeah. That's something. Absolutely. And it means then that your content can uh, be deeper because you, you don't have, you don't have that other yeah. stuff that you have to worry about. You, you, you know, it's, it's like driving a car. I don't have to worry about, you know, the road that I'm on. I have other things, all of the unexpected things that could happen. That's what I, that's what gets my attention. Right. So it's, you, you just, you start, it's, it start like, it's like self-driving uh, and, you know, we're going to do the podcast. Now we can really focus on what we're doing in content and how it's going to come across and, and how can we, what directions are we going to take our interviews, et cetera, et cetera. Luca, is there, is, is there a question you'd like to ask Ron? No, we're still doing that. <laughs> What's that? Like, I didn't know we were going to do that still. You know, it's nice about these little areas where we have those hiccups. Thank God. We cut it out. It's okay. It's okay. But sometimes, sometimes you don't, you don't want to take those out because some, sometimes you don't want to take those out because, you know, they, they're, they're another part of the learning process, right? And people hear oh, you and you go, hey, that's just exactly the kind of thing I would do. Maybe I could do a podcast, right? <laughs> hey. No, maybe we should call Cat Spencer. Maybe maybe we found that five minute. Uh, uh, we found that we found the content of the five minute podcast. Yeah. On. Yeah. I think something's going to come of that. Yeah, yeah. I can't wait. Come of it. I, I think wait. the four of you are going to be. I think you're going to be doing this that that more, and I, you know, be interesting to see what comes of it. Oh, I'm all oh, yeah. up for it. You Convince Cat yeah. for us. Yeah, that's it. Get them on board. You know, we get you on board. We have a nice solid yeah, team. For real. Um, what has been your impact uh, being a change evolutionist? Well, this is that's, that's it's a deep one. What's that? It's a deep one. I feel like it's, it could be like I was just going to say like a that's lot. a deep question, and, and I'll tell you the main reason why is because uh, I, I think I, I don't think I'm deluded about this, but you know it, it's possible that I could be. But I think that when you have um, a major impact on people, they don't tell you. So mm-hmm. I get, like in my private practice, I get very little feedback, very little. But I'll do, you know, I just had the other day one, one of a, a client that I have who is, he's actually quite well known in, in the Montreal area. And, uh, you know, I've, I've worked with him and, you know, I, I just, I never know you know, you go, mm, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, mm, that makes sense. You know, that kind of response. And he certainly does some of the things that we've talked about and, and, you know, the, 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 the plans that we've come up with, but I don't really know what he thinks or, or, or how he feels about our sessions. But, uh, the other day he referred somebody to me. And so he sent an email where he was introducing both of us to each other. And the, some of the things he said in that email, uh, I would never have known that he that he felt that way or thought thought like that, you know, uh, telling this guy, you know, how much impact I would have on his life and that this would be a life changer for him and things like that. I'm going, see, I, I don't I don't get that in in feedback. So when you ask me, 
about mm-hmm. impact as a change evolutionist. I, yeah, I've seen people make changes and I've seen, I've certainly had emotional interactions with clients when they have like aha moments or, or they go, whoa, whoa, I never, I never saw that. And I, I often get this response from clients. Wow, that's a really good question. I never thought about that. Um, mm-hmm. and, and when that happens, you know that you've hit something, right? But then the, the, the aftermath of that, so they, if they ask the question, they go, whoa, that's a really good question. And then they, they dig deep. Mm. They don't share that with me. They don't, they don't really, you know, or, or sometimes they will, they will acknowledge changes that they've made, but they don't, they usually, it's very rare for them to say to me, and you were instrumental in that. Mm. You know, I, I mm. can, I can maybe read between the lines to see. Uh, but you know what? This is human nature. It's it's like I think I was uh, shared with with you guys in the interviewing class about the client that I had who uh, was was really depressed and and uh, just didn't seem to be be able to make any progress and came into my office one day and yeah, told me about, about the, the these this documentary that he had seen about these uh, three military guys that were uh, they had all been wounded and lost a limb or something in in the war and uh, they determined that they were going to climb the whatever mountain peaks. And, uh, and so they did a documentary and, uh, the one guy that really impressed him had lost an arm and an eye. And, uh, and you know, uh, they, they asked, they asked him in the documentary. So like, what do you think? Does it, does it, did, do you feel robbed because you, you don't have an eye? He said, are you kidding? He said, look, look at the scenery that I'm looking at. And all it means is that for me mm-hmm. to get the whole view, I have to make a 360. That's the only difference between me and somebody with two eyes. And so this really impressed my client, and uh, and uh, these guys were from uh, Montreal, and uh, so he said, "I just wow, that really impressed me." I said, "Well, so your homework for next time, before next time, I want you to call that guy, and talk to him, tell him how much it impacted you, and 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 tell him the experience that you had, and let him talk to you about his way of looking at life." He said, "How am I going? I can't do that." I said, yeah, you can. And so he did. He did the research. He found out who the guy was, where he lived, called him up. The guy said, hey, let's go for coffee at Tim Hortons. <laughs> it just blew my client away. Like it just blew him away. But nice. the point there is that people that have something to offer and would give it freely are those people who are rarely asked to share it. And that's why I encourage I encourage you guys in my in my interviewing class find somebody that you you want to interview what's your dream interview what who would you really love to interview and then go ask them because yeah. the the people that that are that are in that category oh wouldn't you love to interview that person or wouldn't you love to be able to sit down with that person those are the people that nobody asks because everybody's too afraid Mm-hmm. So they end up, they have all of this, all of this massive uh, reservoir of wisdom and knowledge and intelligence, and nobody draws on it because everybody's too intimidated. You know, yeah. I, I think I, I told you I was doing a, a conference in a, a real estate conference, and uh, it was a, their annual meeting, and everybody, there were about 500 agents there, and everybody knew who the top agent was. And so I asked them, so how many of you? Have talked to this agent this year, asking him for his for his. Uh, so first, I said, "How many of you know who the top agent is?" Everybody raises that. Yeah, yeah, we know. And so, how many of you have sought this guy out and talked to him this year about his business strategies for success? Not a single hand. And that's mm. very difficult. There you, you know, yeah. I'm just too intimidated. Why? Why would I talk to? Them? They're just human beings like you. If they have something that that you think that they can offer you, ask. 
because probably nobody else is. That's true. I would agree with that. I mean, you're never going right. to know unless you ask, right. you know, and it's just getting over. Um, it's kind of like riding a bike. You just got to do it once and realize it's not so bad. <laughs> well, and you know what? People you know? do yeah. ask people like that for things. They ask them for money. They ask yeah. them for introductions. Mm-hmm. They ask them for something that's going to benefit that person that's asking, but they don't ask mm-hmm. for, tell me what's in inside of you that I could take out and take with me. And that's really going to benefit me. They don't ask that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it's kind of what we did with Kat. Yeah. Yeah. And exactly. Yeah. So you, you pulled it out of him. See, like, it, you know, <laughs> like sharing and, and, uh, and, and sense of humor and, you know, he gave it all right. No matter what you ask, no matter what you wanted to know, he's there for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's been great advice. Actually, just hearing that from your class, just sort of being like, if we want to interview someone, just sort of try to reach out. Even if they're going to say no, it's just no. Or maybe they don't get back to you. Who cares, you know? And you move on to other people. Okay. So yep. I think that's been actually a really big piece of advice, I think, that we've had. And we've been sort of, like, we're not as nervous to approach or email a teacher or someone that, hey, on a podcast, we want to have you, you know? Yeah. I think that's really awesome. We're just mm-hmm. doing it. I mean, for just for a little laughing point here, you know, you never know. Last week, I don't know if you heard Ron, but... Uh, Halle Berry is in Montreal filming a new movie. Um, yeah, and she's actually not. I live in downtown Montreal, and she's it's not not too far from here apparently. And you know, I just said, you know what, you know, there's there's nothing stopping us, you know, just from messaging messaging her on her social media right now. Chances are it was going to go to town. We'll <laughs> never ever see it. Chances are, chances are, you know. But I said, you know, why not? We have honestly nothing to lose. And then we did it. I, I told Alex what to say. She composed the message. She sent it. And like, I mean, this is like, regardless, you know, even if that goes to the trash and she'll never look at it, we, we did it. You know? <laughs> yeah. We still asked. Exactly. We just said we, you know, we, uh, we took our shot and that's yeah. that, you know, we don't care where it's going to land. The point is, you know, like we we're able to and do maybe it. Maybe you want to pull on your influencer, yeah. Kat Spencer and say, Hey, Kat. We did. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that. It's funny you mentioned that because I didn't, I did text Kat, you know, right after <laughs> I mean, like, hey, I got a rather lucrative idea to pass yeah. by you here. You know, how would one, you know, try to get a hold of a celebrity, you know, like a big celebrity? And but uh, he told me how it was, but he's super sweet. He says, look, if I hear anything, you know, from my community, I'm going to let you know for sure. I said, dude, that's so thankful. Uh, so sweet of you. You know, like, uh, yeah, uh, great guy. For sure. All right. So as we approach the end of our episode, I just want to ask you one last thing. And um, that's about um, how you're actually an author um, with the um, your, with your book, Reset Your Internal GPS, which um, I honestly want to read eventually because I've heard Nithu. I know Nithu has it also, I believe. He, he was starting to read it and he thought it was really interesting. And I just want to sort of dive in a little bit um, what that's about. So I started writing a book on communication, and that was about uh, maybe back in 2012, maybe. And uh, because I, I've researched communication all my life, and it's a, it's an area that I'm really interested in. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, as the book evolved, um, uh, it was one of those things where you know I'm pulling things together and I'm writing when I can and. It was. It didn't feel like a completed project. And I was uh, talking to a guy who has authored a couple of books, and he he challenged me. He said, "If you have a book in you, then you're going to be able to to get it out in very short order." So he said, "What I'm going to suggest that you do is take 45 minutes. Put put your timer on for 45 minutes, 
and write out 10 chapters of your book and some sub points in each chapter. And uh, he said, if there's a book in you, it, it, you'll be able to get it out. And you've got the time pressure, so it's going to squeeze it out of you. And uh, mm-hmm. so that's exactly what I did. And uh, it ended up being a book on change, managing change and having purpose. And, and I, I got it out. The, I got the outline in, out in 45 minutes. And I changed very little about the book as I wrote it. It was it was the way it came out exactly the way, and it all fit together. Boom, 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 boom. It's like it was just, it was pretty amazing. So the book is about five things that you need to do, five powerful principles to avoid getting lost on the road to change. That's the subtitle of the book, and and it so the the five things that I'm talking about is know your purpose, uh, and have a plan. So number one, know what your purpose is. Number two, have a plan. That includes writing it down, et cetera. Then you've got to figure out how and where people fit into your plan. Because if you're going to have a plan that's big to create impact, it's going to involve other people. If it's, mm-hmm. it's earlier that if it doesn't involve other people, it's not big enough. It might be the right idea, but it's not big enough. You've got to think really big. You've got to let vision come from internally and stop allowing your mind to bypass and, and tell you, shut you down and say, no, 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 you're not going to be able to do that because, 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 right? And so, so, mm-hmm. so figure out how people fit into your plan and then hone your people skills because you, you're going to need mm-hmm. those. And then the last thing is to create balance in your life. So understand how you create the balance between working towards what you want to accomplish and keeping your life in balance so that you don't burn out. So those those five really powerful principles, uh, they that's what I talk about in the book. Um, I have to tell you that I, if I wrote the book again, actually what I'm in the process of doing, I say in the process because I'm it's in my head right now. I haven't really started the, the actual writing process. But what I'm going to do is write a workbook that goes with the book. Because um, what I found is that uh, nobody who's read the book has said to me, uh, wow, really like the book. And these are the things that I, I'm doing differently as a result. So there's not a call to mm-hmm. action in the book for, for, for the way that it's written. It's not a call to action. Too much information and not enough call to action. So that, uh, I'm going to create a, an accompanying workbook that calls to action. So it will give you exercises that you need to do to follow what's happening in the chapters, et cetera. So um, that's, that was my first foray as a published author. And now I just uh, finished publishing a, um, in March, right after the lockdown, I was approached by a publisher who asked me if I would create an online course, uh, which is what I did. Oh, and wow. we are, we're actually experimenting with it in my uh, 225 class because they, the, the, the online publication is the reflective life practitioner. And uh, so 225 is about, the, it used to be called self-managed learning. They changed it now to the principles and practices of experiential learning and the practitioner, the life practitioner, something like that. Anyway, so yeah. Great it, course. It's a great yep. course. And, and uh, the stuff that I've put together for that course is really uh it's very intense in moving along the, the line of change for sure. And we're having a lot of fun with it. Mm, I love that. That sounds good. Well, uh, Hey, um, once you're past experimenting with, uh, your new publication that you're currently working on, by all means, if you want to throw it our way and we can uh, help with the outreach. If you like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we're tweaking this semester. We're tweaking and there's still, there are a few things that need to be uh, corrected in it. And, you know, I, I mean, I'm coming from this, this generation where we, we just didn't have access to internet and stuff when I was a student. So learning all of this stuff and what is going to 
what's going to reach guys like you who are, you know, who are in this, in this uh, online world, uh, what's the best way of doing that? I, I'm not sure that I've got it uh, nailed, but I, I think it's, I think it's fairly good and that, and we're trying to tweak it and make it better. Yeah. That's awesome, Ron. Yeah. That was like a great it's project fun. coming up. So it's actually funny that this is going to tie in perfectly with our, our final question for yeah. you. So um, like what's down the road now? What is next for Ron? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I have four more years to teach before, um, the university starts putting some, uh, restrictions on, on, uh, being, me being able to teach. So, uh, I, I will definitely be teaching for those four years. Uh, after that, I don't know. I, I, I still might be teaching at, you know, there are just some, some hurdles I need to jump, etc. Um, Mm-hmm. But uh, I'll probably spend more time with my grandkids because my grandkids are all far away. They're in Denver and Kelowna. Uh, so I'll probably be spending more time there and hopefully all the pandemic stuff will be will be done. Maybe we'll be all living in those bubbles that I see, you know, that I know what you wear. <laughs> <laughs> but, but anyway, uh, and, and for sure, my my passion for my personal mission is has not abated in any way. It's in fact, it's just increased. So. I'll certainly be doing things like that, whether I'm doing them one-on-one or with groups or uh, on in an online context. I, I don't know, but uh, but for sure, I'm wide open to uh, whatever's coming down the pike. That's awesome. Yeah, that's great. Well, Ron, on you know behalf of the team here, thank you for you being you, doing what you're good at, what you love doing in life, because it's uh, it's it's working. Mm-hmm. You know, because here we are. You know, like, I mean, you, you kept inspiring us. I mean, from the beginning of the of last semester up until things got really, really hairy with COVID, you know, and every single day with the rom-coms, you know, whether or not, like, I mean, we always open them. Got to be honest, you know, I, I fell behind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the point is you were there. You were there. And it shows that you really care for us. You know, you you have the best intentions at heart, you know, for anybody that wants to do something beautiful with their life. Well, you know, I'm, you know? I'm only paying it Thank forward because for I've had so much of that in my life. And, you know, I'm just thinking about, here I was at, at 45, enrolling in university, starting my degree. And, and you know, uh, my wife said to me, uh, she said, you know, it's, if it's something you want to do, like I'm here, uh, she had a good job. And she's just said, I'm going to support you 100 percent. And uh, it, I mean, without that kind of input, I, I never would have been able to do it. I mean, it was too far along in my life. You know, it's uh, like you, you feel like at the time felt like life was half over. Now, you know, I'm looking back on it saying, well, it wasn't near half over. But but, um, you know, that kind of uh, support and input in my life that she gave me over those years. And obviously, it's benefiting both of us today in, in great ways. But I've had so much of that in my life uh, where people have given freely and it it really puts me in a position where to pay it forward means to give freely yeah perfect all right so without further ado i think alex would like to ask you something Ron. yes so will you do us the honors to outro us out i think so but i i'll tell you i'm not going to be able to match cat cat you know he's the guy guy you gotta have like that's the voice (laughs) (laughs) Okay. okay give it your best shot well this is alpha relations moving change forward yeah <laughs> oh yeah there we go i love that oh, and you guys good. are you're moving change forward right. you, you've you've stepped up to the plate you you're uh sticking with it and uh good things are ahead big things ahead i think uh that you're gonna have a, a wide impact on many people and just 
keep going because you've got the right idea in terms of uh, content that you want to deliver. Thank, Thank you, you Ron. Yeah. We appreciate that. All right, guys. So on uh, behalf of the team, take care. Sure. Be safe Bye. out there. Stay classy. <laughs>